Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, happy Mother's Day as I was reading the text of Amos. Um, Amos chapter 5 is a funeral dirge, and I thought, well, that doesn't really fit Mother's Day too well, so we'll do something else. We're still going to be in the prophets, and the prophets still make us mad. But this is going to make us mad in a different way, a way that you may not be expecting yourself to be made mad. We're going to be in Amos chapter 49, or excuse me, Amos, Isaiah chapter 49. Amos got really big overnight. Uh, But no, Isaiah chapter 49. And some of you have, have heard me well when I said you will get angry if I'm preaching the prophets and you're not angry, I'm doing it wrong. So I, I'm going to pat myself on the back because some of you have been angry, so I've been doing it right. Um, and one of the things that Scripture is going to do is it's going to push against us. It should. If it doesn't push against us, why bother with this text? It's an old book. It was written a long time ago. If it doesn't correct you, if it doesn't rebuke you, if it doesn't help you live more righteously, and that's what it claims to do, that's what this church claims it does, then we might as well just put it away. Um, that's its job, to cut against us, to work against us. The, the book of Hebrews describes uh, the Bible as a very sharp sword, a a better translation in our day and age would probably be a a scalpel. And it separates uh, tissue from tissue. It separates and it removes that infection in our hearts. Um, And in sometimes, it's difficult to see just how infected we are. Uh, Believe me, it's hard as myself to see infection in myself. Um, And so today we're going to see an infection in in us a little bit, but it's a different type of infection. You're not probably going to see it right away when we read this text. Isaiah chapter 49, just some quick background before we read the text. We're going to start in verse 5, but Isaiah 49 is one of the uh, suffering servant passages. It's a passage about God's salvation for Israel But it's also expansive beyond Israel. And that's a good thing, because all y'all are Gentiles, I'm pretty sure. And so it's a good thing that God expanded the program of salvation beyond Israel. And that was his plan from the very beginning. You can see it traced throughout the scriptures, and this is one of the prophecies about you being in church today. Isn't that cool? All right, Isaiah 49. Beginning in verse 5. This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances. To say to the captives, come out and to those in darkness, be free. They will be fed beside the roads and find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat down on them. 
He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. I will turn all my mountains into roads and my highways will be raised up. See, they will come from afar, some from the north, some from the west, some from the region of Aswan. Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. This is God's word. We thank him for it. Today, I want to spend a little bit of time. You may have figured out, oh, that's why he picked that text on Mother's Day. But uh, I want to set it up a little bit because verse or chapter 49 is written to the people of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, which is now in captivity in Babylon. The people are in Babylon, and Isaiah the prophet is speaking, is writing to these people, and he is assuring them that even though they are in captivity, Yahweh, God, the Lord of hosts, is still Lord. And he is still at work in this world, and he still has plans for them. And so you see in verse 5 that he, he says, In the time of my favor I will answer, and in the day of salvation I will help you, I will keep you, and will make you to be a covenant for the people. His plan is to restore Israel to the land. And that does happen later in the day. Uh, we see uh, Daniel pray for the people to be restored. Uh, if you keep reading in your Old Testament, you see Nehemiah, you see Ezra, they return to the land, they build the walls, they build the temple, and the people return. And God announces all of this long before it happens, that it will happen, he will restore them. But it's interesting because he expands it. In verse 6, he says that he's going to bring the nations back. See, verse 6, my eyes aren't working the best. He's going to bring the nations. And it says that they will come from the north and the west and Aswan, which is a city in the south. And they would have expected that they would be coming from the east because that's where Israel's at now. They're east of the land in Babylon. And he does something surprising. He says, folks from the north and the west and the south will come too. So God has this huge salvation plan in place. This is one of the texts that you could say, you could argue that he prophesies that all people from all nations will come to him. Including you and I. In verse 12, we're told that this is going to happen through the servant we're told that the servant, the one he brings, will establish this and bring all the people to himself. And we're told, too, that, verse 13, it looks beyond 
the suffering servant. It looks beyond the salvation of Israel. It looks beyond the salvation of the nations. And it looks to a restoration where it says, a new heavens and a new earth. The mountains clap and sing and rejoice. God's plan is to restore everything. Then verse 14. This is where I really want to focus on. Verse 14, 15, and 16. In verse 14, we get an interruption. We get an interruption of all of this amazing vision that God is giving Isaiah. We get an interruption. The people are angry. The people are upset with God's plan. Once again, the prophets have worked. They've made the listeners mad. And what are they upset about? What are they angry about? It says in verse 14, but Zion said, Zion is this hill in Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel. And it's the hill that the temple was built on. So the temple mount You've probably heard that in the news. You've probably heard that in common parlance. The temple mount is also Mount Zion. And so when it says Zion says this, or Zion thinks this, or Zion is doing that, it's a way of talking about Jerusalem, and it's also a further way of talking about Israel. And so it says here, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. I mean, in this amazing theological vision of all that God plans to do, restore the people, save people from every nation and tribe and tongue, bring about a servant that brings about all this, bring about the restoration of the new heavens and the new earth, Israel interrupts. You ever interrupted God? Uh, Excuse me. I think you might have it wrong. Ever had that conversation with him? If you haven't, you're not very honest, number one. Because if you haven't had it with your mouth, you've definitely had it with your mind, and you've definitely had it with your actions. Have you ever felt forsaken by God? That's a pretty hard word. Forgotten by God. Perhaps when a loved one that you've been praying for a long time, and there is suffering from some physical ailment and they die. Or the ailment gets worse. Have you ever felt forgotten by God? Maybe you're in a position at work, a, a, a situation in your employment, and you're just crying out to God, help, fix, rescue, get me out of this, get me into something. You even send money off to the TV preacher, planting a seed. And you feel forgotten. Maybe your child, you watch the decisions they're making, their life spiraling out of control. They continue to struggle. They're not going the way they should. And you wish to death you could just fix it. You cry out to God and there seems no answer. The heavens feel like iron. Nothing gets through. You feel forgotten? Maybe in your marriage, you plead with God to change them. And you read a book and you plead with God to change you. And 
You just struggle and you cry and you fuss and you argue, you fight and nothing's changing. You're growing apart. You feel forgotten. You ever been there? It's those moments that we feel like interrupting God when he has these glorious plans for the future. And we're like, what about now? I mean, yeah, I believe it. Your struggle isn't belief, by the way. Your struggle is that you do believe. But there's just little evidence to back your belief. You're not struggling to believe. Some of you will say, no, this is doubt. No, it is not doubt. You believe in the love of God. You believe you are a child of the king. That's why you're praying. You cannot feel forgotten and forsaken if you don't believe. A person who does not believe would never worry about feeling forsaken or forgotten by God because they don't believe. I've never felt forgotten or forsaken by the Easter bunny. Never felt that way. Never felt forgotten or forsaken by Santa Claus. Never felt that way. Whoops, some of you still might believe that. I've never felt forgotten or forsaken by a unicorn. Never been a problem for me. Why? I don't believe in them. I never wake up on Easter morning and go, ah, I didn't get candy. Curse you, Easter buddy. Forgotten again. Right? You can only feel forgotten and forsaken by someone you believe in. By someone you believe loves you. By someone you trust should not forget. You ever had somebody forget your birthday? Anniversary? Mother's Day? You see, all those days come with certain expectations on those we love and care about. And we think, you know, they'll remember. They love me. They care about me. And we demonstrate love and care through action. Not through words, although words are important. But action is really where we feel loved and cared for. And Israel is complaining. You've forgotten us. Haven't you looked? We're in Babylon, for goodness sakes. We're in this foreign country. Our country has been run over by foreigners. It's taken from us. We've been taken out of the land. Temples destroyed. Palace is gone. Kingdom is gone. No government. No social structure whatsoever for Israel. It's destroyed. You have forsaken and forgotten us. Yeah, great plans you have for future generations. What about me? What about me? Been there? Are there? You see, Israel interrupts. And that's the anger. That's the angry accusation. Beyond that, it's a painful accusation, isn't it? To be forgotten, to be forsaken. There's pain in this. But God gives an answer. And it is a wonderful answer. Verse 15. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast? 
and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. It's God's answer. Now, Tim Keller says this is a theological metaphor, and we need to think about this. We need to give it some thought. And that's the wonderful, beautiful thing about poems. That's the beautiful thing about excellent literature is that it uses metaphor, it uses simile, and it requires something of us, the reader. That's what separates excellent language use, excellent writing, excellent poetry from the, eh, not so good. The scriptures, this is excellent poetry. You may have looked and seen how it's configured in your Bible. It's trying to tell you this is poetry. And God is using a theological metaphor, and he wants us to unpack it. He wants us to think about it, because when you think about metaphors, he's trying to tell us that he is like a nursing mother, but he's also trying to tell us that he's not like a nursing mother, okay? There are some things about God that's like a nursing mother, but there are things like him that are greater than a nursing mother, And so Israel interrupts, and that's the first thing I want you to see is they interrupt him. And what does God say to their interruption? He doesn't say, suck it up, does he? He doesn't say, suck it up, Israel. I know the plans I have for you, and you're just a bunch of babies. He does call them babies, but he doesn't tell them, suck it up. He doesn't tell them, have more faith. Try harder. Those are words that come out of my mouth. And it just demonstrates to me how ungodly I can be. You see, God uses metaphor because, number one, he wants the folks to think and he wants the thinking to lead to their affections. He wants the thinking to lead to their emotions. He doesn't say suck it up and he doesn't say, oh, they're there, poor little Israel. He doesn't do either of those. Instead, he gives them an excellent, wonderful, a powerful answer that causes them to think and change their emotions. It's a very important concept, by the way. It seems in our day and age, we don't do a lot of thinking anymore. You watch the news recently? You feel like there's a lot of thinking going on? Or does it feel like shouting going on? Feels like reaction going on? Feels like baiting going on? Feels like argument going on? God could have argued with Israel. God could have said, hey, I can win this argument. I'm God Almighty in the heavens. You're idiots. Here's why. But then his case... End of story. But what happens to the forgotten and the forsaken when they lose an argument? They probably still feel forgotten and forsaken. They might even have an exaggerated sense of feeling forgotten and forsaken. So God gives this theological metaphor. And let's play with this a little bit. I've been playing with it for a while now. And there's three things I think, well two things I want you to see in this metaphor. One is, a nursing mother cannot physically forget her infant. Right, moms? Because when the milk comes in, you're uncomfortable. It's physically impossible to forget the infant. At that stage of their life, 
There's a physiological thing that happens. The more you nurse, the more milk you make. The less they nurse, the less the need. And there's this physiological, there's this physical reality that exists between mother and child. You cannot physically forget your infant. God is saying, I'm like a nursing mother. I cannot physically forget my nursing infant. Everything in his nature drives him to remember you. Everything about him causes him to devote 24-7 attention to you. You've been around a nursing mom recently? You can't really hang out with nursing mom because nursing mom is like busy. Busy. How do I know this? Because I've been around a nursing mom three times. 24-7. And that kid, each time, ran our life. That's why I started coming to church at 6.30 in the morning. So I'm like, uh, you're not ready on time. It's not my fault. I get it. I totally understand why you are not ready on time. Believe me. That thing right there makes it so we can't be ready on time. Right? And they're still doing that, by the way. We're just supposed to have more power over them or more control. I don't know how it works. 24-7. Doesn't stop for holidays. Doesn't stop for naps. Doesn't stop for proper bathing or eating. The little infant just... And physically, mom knows that connection. And God says, I'm like that. I'm like that. It's also an emotional connection between mom and infant. We know nowadays that oxytocin is released during breastfeeding. We know that this happens during uh, human touch, that there is a hormone that is released into our brains and our bodies and it makes us feel good, pleasurable. And when moms nurse an infant, that is released into their bloodstream. And it creates emotional bonding between mom and child. If you think about it, mom's love is unconditional. It is an emotionally unconditional thing. Why is it unconditional? Because if there were conditions, what conditions does an infant reach? What conditions do they fit? Infants just, there's, think about marriage. We've all who have been married for a while have said a marriage vow. We've entered into a covenant relationship. We've entered into a contractual agreement with that person. Many of us want to think that marriage is about unconditional love, but it's not. There are tons of conditions on marriage. Tons of conditions. That's why you get up in front of a preacher and you say vows. That's why you sign legal documents. It's conditional. It's conditional. Does this person want to participate in this relationship? That's a condition. And that could change. That person at some point may choose not to participate in the relationship. It's conditional on how we treat one another. 
the statistics of abuse in marriage are alarming. If you are an abusive marriage, women, get out. If your husband is physically beating you, if your husband is emotionally hurting you, they are in violation of the marriage covenant, the vow. Your heavenly father, who is in a covenant relationship with you, would never beat you, would never emotionally abuse you. And that's what the covenant of marriage is designed to mimic, that relationship. And if they are not acting like Christ, as he loves the church and gave himself up for the church. And have you ever noticed the verbs that are used there? They're all feminine verbs that are being used to describe the work of a man. Washing his wife, women's work. To present her spotless without wrinkle. That sounds like laundry and ironing. And they are. It's the verbs Paul uses. And if you aren't in a relationship with a man in marriage who is treating you as Christ treats the church and gave himself up for her, Now, he's going to mess up. Believe me, Marnie's got great stories. But if that's not his trajectory, if his trajectory is to harm and injure and hurt and power over you, you see, it's not what God does. It's not how he treats us. Marriage is a covenant relationship. But the relationship between a mother and an infant is unconditional. There is no... In marriage, there's give and take, right? At least in good marriages, there's supposed to be give and take. I give, I take, I give, I take. She gives, she takes, she gives, she takes. In a mom-child, mom-infant relationship, oh, there's lots of given and taken. All the givens for mom and all the takens from the infant. Right? I mean, it's just how it is. You might think, oh, but I feel so much love from this kid. No, you don't. You feel oxytocin hitting your bloodstream. (laughs) Right? You can feel that with other kids, too. You and that child, that child is taking, 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 taking. That's all they do. And it continues for a long time. God is saying, I'm like that. I'm like a nursing mother who 24-7 is giving, giving, giving to a baby who is taking, taking, taking. And then he goes on, he says, though she may forget... The Hebrew actually says, it doesn't have the though in there. The Hebrew says, she will forget. And you think, what? Moms forget? Yeah, moms forget. There are some bad moms in the world. Now, hear me well, moms. All moms have a bad mom button. I'm not seeking to push that button. (laughs) But there are bad moms in the world who abandon their children. There are bad moms in the world who hurt their children and hurt people hurt people, right? 
So that mom at some point was hurt. Something happened in her where she's just not what God meant. But there are bad moms in the world. There are bad dads in the world. And beyond that, even if you had a great mom, you may have lost your mom. She may have died. She's gone. As indestructible and as unconditional as mom's love feels, it is destructible and it is conditional because all humans are destructible. We are all destroyed at some point. And mother's love, this is how God's love is unlike a nursing mother's love because his love is completely and utterly unconditional and completely and utterly indestructible. It can never be taken from you in life or death. Just think if you believe this. Just think if you believe this. I mean, you say you do. I say I do. But just think if we believe this, if we believe that God loved us 24-7 with the love of a nursing mother, just think if we understood that God, somebody as prominent, as important in the world as God, was crazy about us and spent his life sacrificing for us. Just think if we believe that to be true. What would we be like? I know I'd be a vastly different person. My guess is you would be a vastly different person too. If we actually let this soak in and we believe that the God of the universe is like a mother. Because I've seen some moms and they'll try to move heaven and earth to take care of their kids, right? Have you seen, have you seen Mama Bear up here? Ever seen Mama Bear? You know what? We have, we have the mother creator of the universe and he does move heaven and earth. And he will move heaven and earth. He has moved heaven and earth for you. How do I know that? Well, verse 16. Verse 16. Israel could easily say, yeah, that's good talk. I still don't feel it. You could be sitting here in a a sermon. You're like, yeah, those are some good reasons. I still feel forsaken. I still feel forgotten. Those are good words. This is a great argument, God, but... What about how I feel? And here he comes with a cure for the pain. Because we all have that pain of forsakenness and forgottenness. It's a common human feeling. And now he's come with an argument, an answer for that. But now he's also coming with a cure. I mean, it's like a doctor who hears all your symptoms and realizes you have cancer and goes, hey, I got a lot of words to argue against it. And at the end of the day, you're like, yeah, but what about my cancer? Can you cure it? And here, God says, I have a cure for you feeling forsaken and forgotten. The answer, the cure is this. I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. In the ancient world, 
slaves would get the name of their master tattooed onto their hands. Kind of a convenient way to make sure that your property doesn't run off. Put a forever mark on them saying, this is mine. Many cultures practice that in marriage as well. That the subservient spouse would get a tattoo of their spouse's name on their hands. Pretty convenient way to say, that's my wife. But look at this. It's flipped. Who's got the tattoo? The master or the slave? The master has you engraved. We need to press this further because this is not a tattoo. This is... This is engraving. The Hebrew there means to uh, shape stone with a hammer or a chisel or a spike. If you've read the New Testament, if you know anything about the work of Jesus Christ, you know that there was this man named Thomas. He said, I will not believe he is risen from the dead until I place my finger into the nail marks in his hands. Till I touch the scar in his side. Jesus showed up. He showed him that I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Sometimes it's funny being at the place of parenting that I am to watch younger parents interact with their kids. funny because I was in their shoes, exasperated, freaked out, clueless. Now I'm just exasperated, freaked out, and clueless parent of 19 and 18 and 16-year-olds. But it's fascinating how children, you will tell them things they cannot do. No, you can't go there today. No, you can't do that. No, you can't hang out with that person. No, don't touch that. Stop that. Put that down. Don't look at me that way. Quit talking to me like that. Don't speak to your mother that way. It's Mother's Day, for goodness sakes. And some kids will respond when they get a no. They will respond with this, the ultimate challenge to a parent. You don't love me. Parents, how do you feel when a kid says that at that moment? Number one, for me, it doesn't really cut me to the quick because I know all the invisible sacrifices I have made for them. You know why daddy's gone for several hours of every day? (laughs) To pay for you. Your house, your job. Why is mom gone several hours every day? To pay for you. In your house, the stuff you have, toys, Christmas, you know, all those things you really love. Do you know why? I mean, there is all this invisible sacrifice that occurs that parents do on behalf of their child, and they have the audacity at some point where you tell them no to say, But you don't love me, you've forgotten me, you've forsaken me. That's the metaphor God gives about himself. 
you don't love me. You've forgotten me. You've forsaken me. And he says, oh, if you could only imagine. If you could only see all the invisible sacrifices that I've made on your behalf for you. All that I have done to give you what you currently have. All that I have done so that you could be you. And you could do you. And ultimately, he takes that sense of forgottenness and forsakenness upon himself on the cross. Jesus cried out on the cross. What did he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He took that upon himself so that forever there would be an answer for us when we say, you have forgotten me. You have forsaken me. And he can say, oh, really? Look at the cross. I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. You will never be forsaken. You will never be forgotten by me, says Christ, says the Lord, says Yahweh of hosts. I hope and pray that if you are in a place of feeling forgotten or forsaken, these words would speak to you. You would memorize this passage of Scripture. You would meditate upon this theological metaphor that thinking about it, you would allow it to drill down into your emotional being and you would know it to be true. And it would change you. It would make you a new creation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this picture of yourself. Thank you that you dote over us like a mother with an infant child. Thank you that you provide and nourish us like a mother with an infant child. Thank you that you and your being, everything about you, you are love drives you, your nature drives you to be with us. And there is nothing that you gain from this relationship. It doesn't make you any more complete. It doesn't bring anything to you. But unconditionally, you want us. You love us. You provide for us. I pray that these words would speak to us, the forgotten and the forsaken. We would know how much you care about us. Thank you for motherhood. Thank you for that idea. May mothers be encouraged as they give and give and give to their little people. And they're not so little people. May they be encouraged to know that that is acting like their heavenly father and that they are not alone in that giving. Holy Spirit, make it so. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May you let this sink, that you will never be forsaken. You will never be forgotten as long as you are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.